It doesn't matter if you love him or capital H I M. Hmm. I'm not even sure what that means. I'm not either, but it sounds good. Though. It does. It does. It sounds real good. I'm sure we're missing something. Way, Very possible. Well, hello, and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson, and I am here with my co-host, Toby Braswell. Happy Halloween, my friend. Happy Halloween, man. I know you are stoked to go out and trick-or-treat tonight. Uh, man, with 50-mile-an-hour winds and rain, I am so excited. It just lets you know I love my boy. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing it, it right? <laughs> if there's ever a doubt how much I love my son. All I know, you know. is there better be some Reese's Cups in your future. <laughs> Reese's, Twix, and everything else, buddy. <laughs> well, together on this show... We listen to the legendary tracks and the timeless, but sometimes not so well-known songs they sampled from. So, Tub, what do we got today? We are listening to Lady Gaga's hit single, Born This Way. Now, she's a very talented and expressive artist. It's really rare that we actually have two heavyweight artists in one episode. I'm really looking forward to talking about her musical journey on this song. Well, I totally agree. From hit songs and songwriting to an award-winning acting career, it really seems like Lady Gaga can do no wrong. Well, I agree. So why don't we hop in the DeLorean and see what track was sampled to make this hit? Rewind. Come on, girls. You said, come on, girls. Because I got something to say about it. Say something. Man, this song brings back memories. Yeah, all, all of these Madonna tracks are going to take me back to seriously. fifth grade or something. I don't even know. <laughs> Whatever years those were. Yeah, seriously. Fourth, fifth grade, it's all there. Well, not that I didn't give it away or anything, but Tob, <laughs> tell the good folks what we're listening to. <laughs> My pleasure. There's only one often imitated, debated, but impossible to duplicate. This is Madonna. And I want to preface this entire episode by saying this. There is absolutely no way that we can tell you everything that there is to know about this amazing icon. No, that's what Wikipedia is for, right? <laughs> but we can give you some background info and do what we do best by connecting the dots between the icon and the icon in the making. Well, let's start from the beginning. So Madonna Louise Ciccone was born on August 16, 1958, in Bay City, Michigan. She was a solid student and often showed her artistic side while in school in talent shows, but as a dancer more than a singer. Madonna's dancing skills made an impression on her dancing teacher, Christopher Flynn. Flynn obviously left an impression on Madonna, as shown in the following quote. He was my ballet teacher in high school, and he was the first person that believed in me. That made me feel special as a dancer, as an artist, and as a human being. I know this sounds trivial and superficial, but he was the first man to tell me that I was beautiful. So, you know, Joe, we've, we've talked about education before and the importance of education, right? And I, you know, firmly believe that teachers have so much to do with how our students actually feel about themselves. Completely, yes. You know, and it's so good to see how teachers continue to inspire students. So want to give a shout out to the, to the good teachers out there who are doing, doing their job day in and day out. Absolutely. Well done. So Flynn actually took Madonna to her first club to dance. And granted, she was just in high school, but I think that it offered her a bit of artistic escape from some of the issues that she was going through at home. Yeah, you know, another thing that can shape your world outside of your teachers is your home life. For sure. Madonna was the third of six children. She was close to her mother, but unfortunately, her mother developed cancer as a product of working as an x-ray tech and eventually died. 
This understandably had an effect on Madonna and helped to foster a rebellious attitude, especially after her father remarried. Yeah, her father remarried pretty well, pretty soon after that, right? And like, yeah. Not like there's any good time right, right to, to right. do that after something this traumatic. But I like to think that her dance instructor gave her an outlet for all of those feelings that she was having about her home life. So Flynn helped to convince her to go to that school up north to study Ooh. dance. Oh, I, right? know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. So note to the listener, right? If you're from Ohio, you know what we're talking about. If you're not, let me give you a clue. All right. I'll let you know that school up north is known as the University of Michigan. Hey, Toby, what time is it? What time is it? Yeah, look at your watch. Tell me what time it is. It's 439, sir. And Michigan still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> My man. <laughs> My man. Yeah, so it, they're our arch rivals. So we just call them that school up north. Anyway, so Madonna didn't stay there long before deciding to take her talents to New York to find fame and fortune. She eventually joined a band called The Breakfast Club, and it actually played the drums. Huh. Right? I'm thinking, oh, she joined a band, she's, she's singing. Like she's singing. No. Yeah. Sheila E. Yeah, right. right. She's playing drums. So eventually her love to be up front and on the microphone trumped all. She departed from the Breakfast Club band, you know, I think detention was over, <laughs> and largely from the rock scene and linked up with a fellow classmate from the University of Michigan named Stephen Bray. So you mean the same Stephen Bray that was a composer and lyricist for Tony Award nominated in 2006 for the Broadway musical Color Purple, mm-hmm. along with Allie Willis and Brenda Russell? If you remember, we discussed Brenda Russell in our Ariana Grande episode. I do remember. I think I was there for that. Yeah, you were there, buddy. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, you definitely were there. Well, back to Madonna. Bray played with the Breakfast Club, but formed a new band with Madonna called Emmy. I I don't know. If I was going to form a band, I might call it Grammy. So... You, you should, buddy. You should. People start making jokes. Oh, he's saying gran- is he saying Granny? Is that the name of the band? So Madonna wanted to name the band Madonna. Yeah. All right? Bray said, no way is that happening. I'm not going to be in a band named Madonna. Huh. Right? So they used Emmy. Emmy is actually Madonna's, like, a nickname. Yeah. So they say, oh, we'll call it Emmy instead. Thank God, right? right. Because now we have, you know, Madonna. Madonna. Right, right, right. right, right. So I thought that was well, kind of cool. in that band, she had more freedom to do her own thing, but eventually decided, guess what? She wants to go solo. Right. So, she wants to use Madonna. Right, <laughs> exactly. Good thing it was free, right? So her music with Emmy did attract the interest of Seymour Stein, who's the founder of Sire Records. So she signed with Sire Records and released her first single in October of 1982. So let's take a listen to her debut single, a song called Everybody. The message is clear. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. So her second single is a song called Burning Up, and that reached number three on the Billboard charts and really started to get the ball rolling to make sure that her eponymous album would be completed. Let's take a listen to that. This is Burning Up. Oh, Joe, I... I don't ever want to see this dance again. Man, where are the jelly shoes at? The, the, the little jelly bracelets? The, the neon guys? Yeah. yeah. Where's my trapper keeper? All that mm. stuff. Let's bring it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, John Jellybean Benitez, not, not Butterbean. That's a different guy. Totally different a Totally guy. different guy. 
was Madonna's boyfriend at the time, although I would like to see Butterbean and Madonna dating. That would be... That, that makes one of us. Sir. Okay. Makes one of us. <laughs> he was tasked with remixing a lot of the completed tracks from Madonna's first album and actually produced this gem. It's a dance again. You just keep this dance going all episode. And this is the UTEP two-step. What you talking about? Man, this song goes hard. I love this song. <laughs> this song is great. This song and roller skating is like, you know, it just goes together. So Madonna's album was released in July 1983. It is pretty well received with two more singles that made it to the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 200 charts. But this was only the beginning. In 1984, Madonna released her second album entitled Like a Virgin. Obviously, with a title like that, it just screams for attention. Yeah. Well, Madonna always attracted attention, whether it was for the fashion trends that she set or the videos that she made that often mixed religious and sexual symbols. And always seemed to just kind of toe that line. There was one thing you could never doubt is her confidence. Like a Virgin helped Madonna become the first female to sell over 5 million copies in the U.S. 5 million? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's crazy. And those it, were albums, right? Yeah, well, and, you know, right. Tapes and Seriously, whatever. but all of that. Physical stuff. Yeah, physical stuff. It's <laughs> probably the best way to say it. Not digital, physical stuff. If that doesn't make you confident, I don't know what will. So let's take a listen to that confidence now. This is the title track from Madonna's album. It served to be the first single and stayed on the Hot 100 charts for six weeks straight. Let's take a listen to Like a Virgin. Remember seeing this video? Yeah, come on, it's Madonna. <laughs> I know. It's Madonna. Remember all the parents being like, <gasps> you know, oh, I know. It. Yeah. It's Madonna, man. And she she just really, this one thing I love about her, man, her confidence is just at an all time high. She never had any doubt. It didn't look like she had any doubt being on stage. And I think she really pioneered the way for a lot of the artists yeah, that we see agree. around. So in hindsight, you know, Madonna really knew how to strike when it was hot, right? She played the lead role in 1985 comedy, Desperately Seeking Susan. She also had two songs that were featured on the film called Vision Quest, which she had a brief appearance on. Also in 1985, she started the Like a Virgin tour. It's a busy year. Isn't it? Mm. And on that tour, she actually had the Beastie Boys as her opening act. Wow. Can you imagine that? Man, it makes me wonder what tours are going on right now with bands that haven't broke yet that we're missing. Because you know it's still going on. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Well, in 86, Madonna released her third album entitled True Blue. And this release had a romantic side to it since it was dedicated to her then-husband, Sean Penn. Man, I remember that whole saga, too. Right. Did you know that song was, was about him, though? I had no clue. I had no idea. But it does make you look at some of her songs a little differently, you know, from that album. You mean like uh, Open Your Heart, which was the number one single. You, let's, you know what? Let's, let's keep the time machine going. Let's listen to Open Your Heart. bringing a GoPro next time so, so, so our listeners get a good glimpse of what I have to deal with 
Open Your Heart was one of five singles released from this album. So Live to Tell, Papa Don't Preach, True Blue, Open Your Heart, and La Isla Bonita all reached number one in the U.S. or U.K. charts and all helped to propel Madonna to sell 25 million copies. And it is her best-selling album. That's fantastic. 25 million, man. That's crazy. I mean, even if you only make, like, a dollar for each oh, I album, know, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. I'm not-, not great at math, but I'm pretty sure that's a lot of money. <laughs> Like a Prayer was Madonna's fourth release and happens to contain our first featured track. Let's take a listen to Express Yourself again. I don't know, buddy. Sometimes I express myself, I just get in more trouble. Mm-hmm. Right? It's selective expression. Selective. That's what you need. Selective. That's, that's what, what you need to do. Yeah. Selectively Select. express Like, yourself. don't do it. Don't do that. Not now. Later. <laughs> when you're alone. <laughs> Door closed. <laughs> so, Like a Prayer actually featured the writing talents of Stephen Bray, Patrick Leonard, and Prince. Huh. And it gives listeners an introspective view of relationships that she's had with her family. Now, who better to illustrate those bonds than the group of writers that I just mentioned? Yeah, you're not kidding. I'm telling you. So I remember when these singles came out, each one was a huge deal, especially with the video that, mm-hmm. that partnered with it. And it really showed the creative side of Madonna. So the first single, Like a Prayer, actually discussed her Catholic upbringing during her adolescence. Let's take a listen to Like a Prayer. It's It is never a bad time to let the choir sing, by the way. No, there isn't. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that's, it's funny that you mention that. So the older I get, the more I see that a lot of our relationships to religion has played a a part in how we embrace music. So before Kanye made this Jesus is King album, which, which certainly stokes a lot of criticism and praise alike, you had this album, which infused with various genres like dance, funk, gospel, and soul. All right, so you mentioned Kanye's new album, and Kanye certainly deserves his own episode. But one similarity that I saw between his album was the featuring of a certified gospel singer to guest appear on on some tracks. So Kanye's has gospel singer Fred Hammond, while Madonna's calls in the man who's been hailed as the father of modern gospel music, Andre Crouch. Now, I'm familiar with both gospel artists, but let me tell you something, okay? Andre Crouch is the man, My parents used to listen to him all the time. He certainly paved the way for other gospel artists who really like to toe the line, like gospel group The Winans. And to have him on a track with Madonna was very controversial at the time. Now, I'm not sure when we'll ever get a chance to to talk about Andre Crouch again, so I thought it appropriate to give you a taste of why his music separated him from others. Here's Andre Crouch's Grammy-winning title track and hit single from his 1979 album release, I'll Be Thinking of You, featuring Stevie Wonder on harmonica. With a genre like gospel, when it's all about choirs and, you know, things yeah. like that, to have music that sounds secular but has a, I mean, you know, right. a spiritual, Still you know, the same message. Yeah, but... still the same message. It's like, man, he opened up, he just widened yeah, it up. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really good. When I was cutting this track, it's funny that you mentioned the 
Stevie on harmonica, I was like, is that Stevie? So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah there it is. It, it's him. It's him. So let's focus back on Madonna. And now we actually have an opportunity to focus on our second featured track of this episode, and that would be Express Yourself. So this song was written and produced by Stephen Bray and Madonna and serves to be a tribute to Sly and Family Stone, as well as an empowerment song for women. The song actually reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and charted at the top of those charts, both in Canada and Switzerland. Madonna's entire approach to this album was to express herself artistically no matter who she offends in the process, <laughs> as illustrated by the fact that her video for Like a Prayer was condemned by the Vatican. I mean, by the Vatican. That's, that, uh, that's, uh, that's something. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea that the Pope actually had MTV. I mean, cable <laughs> is amazing. Spectrum is doing the job, that's for sure. So as we stated earlier, there's no way that we could ever, you know, cover the entirety of Madonna's Wait, wait hold on a second. Does MTV play videos? <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> they did back then. They did back then. That coupon's been expired now. <laughs> that's right. The coupon has expired. But as we stated earlier, there's no way that we could actually cover the entirety of Madonna's career. So I believe it's time for us to discuss our second featured artist, we go from a certified icon to Miss Icon in the making. Let's talk about Lady Gaga. All right. Well, first off, her real name is Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata, and she was born on March 28, 1986, in Manhattan, New York. Stephanie started playing the piano at the age of four and later studied music and acting throughout school, and then she withdrew from college at 19 to focus on her music career. So in 2006, she began collaborating with producer Rob Fusari, a guy who was previous success with a little group called Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child. You know what? I think I've heard of them. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, Fusari co-wrote and produced a hit off of their 1998 self-titled debut album called No, No, No that reached number three in the U.S. The song was divided in two parts, and Wyclef is on the second one, but let's listen to part one. Because boy, no, you want me just as much as I want you to come and get my love. Young Beyonce. Yeah, this this uh, this was a hit. Yeah, I remember the video for sure. Well, yeah. So I guess the band name was a good omen, as Destiny's Child turned out to have the goods. Fusari also produced another hit for the group called Bootalicious, which we talked about way back on our second episode. Fusari was also responsible for helping Stephanie change her name. Is that why her fifth album is named Joanne? Uh, actually, we're talking about her first transformation from Stephanie to Lady Gaga. Hmm. So when she and Rob Fusari were working on early tracks in the studio, instead of saying hello, he would sing the Queen song Radio Gaga to her when she walked in. Man, that's a great track. So we can't pass up an opportunity to actually play it. So let's do that. This is Radio Gaga. Great track, man. Great track. I think I'd be annoyed if somebody started singing at me every time I walked in, though. Yeah. Well, apparently one day Rob sent her a text with the words Radio Gaga and autocorrect, decided to jump in and change radio to lady. That doesn't even make sense to me. (laughs) So she texted him back and said, don't ever call me Stephanie again. So I guess besides Stephanie and Joanne, we also have Siri to thank for her success. Thanks, Siri. You know what, though? I'm pretty sure Siri's just a 
little secret society of folks that sits around waiting for comical opportunities to <laughs> insert themselves into our text messages. You could absolutely be correct on that one, buddy. So I had one that happened this week that I will not share on the air because wow. it will get me in trouble. Is it like that? <laughs> it's like that. It's like, I, I totally understand. I expect to see it on social at some point, you know, in somebody's like BuzzFeed <laughs> or something. Understood. So one of the early songs written with Fusari was a track called Fancy Pants that was actually never released. Maybe because of the name. <laughs> mm, could have been. Could have been. Let's give that a spin. This is Fancy Pants. Red high heels and pretty toes. Yeah, you're going to talk about the sample use, right? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. That is obviously sampling the iconic track from David Bowie's 1975 Young Americans album, Fame. And that is not the last time that Gaga channeled that fame word through the universe. Right, right, right. So one of Gaga's early collaborations is one you might not expect with Melly Mel, of all people. Sure. That's, it's crazy. So Melly Mel of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. That's you know, fantastic. He's like, he's like the new Bootsy. He shows up like in all of our episodes. You know what? I lied. Hold up. There's only one Bootsy, there's baby. O- there's only one. There's only one. Now, hold on a second, Toby. If you're going to collab with Melly Mel, what's the first thing you would do? We got to do a song. Sure. You got to do a couple songs. Right. Like on a, like a children's book. Right? A tri- yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. This collaboration was actually a children's audiobook by a woman named Cricket Casey. It was uh, narrated by Melly Mel, and he and Gaga did a couple of songs together, including this one, The Fountain of Truth. Let's take a listen. Boy, that Casio organ is like <laughs> working overtime, man. <laughs> Working overtime. It's something. It's something. Well, in 2006, Gaga signed to Def Jam Records, but was dropped three months later. So I'm guessing whoever made that bold move is out of a job you now. You would think, right? Well, unless it happened to be L.A. Reid, so I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, true that. But as you might imagine, he does regret that decision. Here's what he had to say about it. One day, this artist comes to my office. She played piano. She had white go-go boots all the way up to here, thigh-high boots. She sat down at the piano. She played, and she sang, and when she was done, I said, you're an amazing artist, and you will change music. And I signed her. Her name was Lady Gaga. But three months in, Reed heard the early demos and changed his mind. It was a work in progress, and I was having a bad day, I said. <laughs> you think? Yeah, a bad day, buddy? A bad day? A bad day? <laughs> You know, I I really don't like it. You know, let her have her freedom. Let her have her career. Let her go find it. It was the worst thing I've ever done. That's a that's a direct quote. Yeah, buddy. I'd have that. (laughs) That is that's just an egregious error, man. That's That's just horrible. Well, understandably, Lady Gaga was upset, but she did not let it stop her momentum. She teamed up with a performance artist by the name of Lady Starlight and created the Lady Gaga and Starlight Review, which eventually became part of the 2007 Lollapalooza tour. So Starlight was definitely an influence on the performance aspects of Gaga, but probably not so much on the music side, unless you like Kraftwerk. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, well, probably because she made songs that sound like this. What is this? What is this? <laughs> this is a song. It's called... Do you want to hear the name? <laughs> yeah. 
because this is pretty much the whole song. It's called F8 from Lady Starlight's 2017 album, Untitled. So I would change its name to Control-Alt-Delete. <laughs> so back to Gaga. She signed to Interscope in 2007 and started in the bullpen writing songs for Britney, New Kids on the Block, Fergie, and the Pussycat Dolls. Then Akon, who had achieved monster success with his 2006 album Convicted, convinced Jimmy Iovine to allow Gaga to co-sign with Akon's ConLive label. So you know what I think Gaga's response to Def Jam was when she got another record deal? Mm, what? Smack that. <laughs> <laughs> well done, my friend. That is, yeah, all right, okay. Well, let's just take a listen to that Akon masterpiece. Yes! <laughs> Hey, God. I had some hits, man. I think this was a song that he, uh, Eminem was on with. Him. Yeah, Eminem's on yeah. this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So Gaga released her debut album, The Fame, in 2008. It reached the top five in the U.S. and number one in several other countries. The first single, Just Dance, was co-written by Gaga, Akon, and the multi-Grammy award winner, Red One. Let's give that a spin. So let me say this. This album here, I was like, there's a whole bunch of hoopla about Gaga Mm -hmm. and how great she was. And I was like, ah, whatever, whatever. So I put this album in, and from the get-go, like the first four songs, I was like hypnotized. Like it is, like it, it got me. I'm did like, you just oh dance? Goodness. Well, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. As I'm doing now. As you are doing now. <laughs> well, just dance and another single from the Fame album, Poker Face, were number one hits. Poker Face topped the charts throughout Europe and became the world's best-selling single in 2009, with 9.8 million copies sold. So. I guess we should hear that. Let's hear Poker Face. The thing about Gaga is that she does these type she does this type of music yeah. and, and in general, I'm just gonna paint with a broad brush here, right? Don't kill me on this, uh, people, but I would say in general, it doesn't take a lot of the vocal type of pipes actually to sing this type of music, yeah. I would say, typically. Yeah, right? she's typically. not stretching. Right. But she can really, really sing. Oh, she can rip it. I mean, she can rip And I think that just makes it that much better. Because you get, like, later on in her career, you hear the songs, she's belting it out. It's like, oh, you know, she ain't, she, she's not, uh, she ain't playing around. She got real skills. To me, that's the mark of a good musician. It's like, I don't need to... I don't need to showcase all. I can sit in the pocket and do exactly what the song needs, right? Agreed. Agreed. So, oddly enough, Poker Face only reached number 96 on the Billboard Hot 100 here in U.S., but I love how it samples the 1977 Boney M song, My Baker, from their Love for Sale album. Let's listen to My Baker. Now I'm dancing, buddy. (laughs) Get it, Joe. It's an interesting track. I dig it, though. Well, in November of 2009, Lady Gaga released her second album, The Fame Monster, which won the Grammy for Best Pop Vocal Album, and the track Bad Romance also won the Grammy for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance and Best Short Form Music Video. 
So let's hear some bad romance. Better than living it. <laughs> Quote. <laughs> This was a weird video. Aren't they all? <laughs> they are. They are we're all talking about Madonna and Lady, Lady Gaga. There's a lot of I weird know. videos. There's a lot of weirdness. The third single from that album, Alejandro, reached number five on the U.S. charts and samples the 1904 song Sardas from Vittorio Bonit. Let's hear the Sardas track. Well, I got to hear how she samples this. Cool song. Oh, like yeah. It's been used by a lot of stuff, and then it picks up and whatever. But, all right, you asked. Let's hear how she used it for Alejandro. I know that we are young, and I know that you may love me, but I just can't be with you like this anymore. Alejandro. I see what she did. I see what she did. Nice. Nice. Very nicely done. So, Joe, got a question for you. Yes, sir. Do you remember Grace Jones? Oh, yeah, man. How could I not? Do you remember, like, uh, when she played Mayday in, uh, what was that? I think it was 85, that Bond flick. A View to a Kill. That is seared. When she's, like, on the train and she, mm-hmm. like, holds the bomb. And, yeah, she was she was pretty badass in that. Wasn't she, though? Yeah. So, but did you know that she could sing? I mean, sing. No. We just took a detour. Why are you asking? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, but she's got skills, and her 1978 album is called Fame. Huh. And she certainly has been a pioneer in performance, art, acting, and singing. And it also samples that Sarda track on her version of Autumn Leaves. Let's give that a listen. All right, Grace, I hear you. And the song, like, just turns into a funk jam, which is... Really? Yeah, it's so cool. Like, I had no idea. Well, I think you've just proved your point. She can sing. And I have to think that Gaga was intentional in paying homage to Grace, not only with the use of fame in her own album names, but also by revisiting that Sarda track. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So well, now let's get... Let's get to Gaga's 2011 album, Born This Way, and a connection that has caused a lot of controversy with this title track. Well, the song itself was certainly a success. It sold one million copies in five days, which set a Guinness World Record for fastest-selling single on iTunes. Maybe it's because she was writing about themes that were important to her. So Gaga is quoted as saying this about the song. So hearkening back to the early 90s when Madonna, In Vogue, Whitney Houston, and TLC were making very empowering music for women and the gay community in all kind of disenfranchised communities. The lyrics and the melodies were very poignant and very gospel and very spiritual. And I said, that's the kind of record I need to make. That's the kind of music that is going to shake up the industry. It's not about the track. It's not about production. It's about the song. Anyone could sing Born This Way. It could have been done by anyone. <laughs> well. I think therein lies the problem, my friend. It it could have been anyone, and in this case, it was. It was Uh, Madonna. You know, Tobe, I don't know. Sometimes we hear songs that we think are lifted, and like it's like, ah, maybe, maybe not. That was probably unintentional or whatever. I don't think you're going to convince me that's the case here. In fact, I I remember when I first heard Born This Way, I was like, 
oh, is somebody remake Express Yourself? Right. Like, right. I thought it was that similar. I, I would agree. I would agree. I, I guess my only thing in prepping for this episode, you know, I was looking for evidence that she actually paid money to Madonna yeah, or whatever. License it or whatever. Yeah, license yeah. it. You know, so I didn't really see anything. Actually, but you know, nope. admittedly, I didn't look too hard. I think if she had paid homage in that way, I, I, I'm hoping that there wouldn't have been an issue. Right. Because she is so much the, you know, Madonna 2.0. Absolutely. That's the other thing. It's like you just scratch your head and say, how is this not intentional? Right, right, right. As we say, partner, just give credit where credit is due. And if there's any doubt about how Madonna feels about it, let's hear her version of Express Yourself on the 2012 live album, MDNA. Mm, yeah, mm, so mm. she basically sings Express Yourself and then just dives right into Born This Way and then brings it back around and yeah. And then she follows with another song which could easily be interpreted as being a diss track too. Wow. Yeah. So well. I don't know. I think most folks agree that she's throwing shade. And it's noted that she did not give Gaga any credit on that album and that MDA and A album. So I'm guessing that's maybe just a little passive aggressiveness there. Right. It sounds like it. So, well, regardless, both artists are similar in their impact and career trajectories. Let's see if Lady Gaga has a staying power of Madonna and an incredible career. But if recent reinventions like her Joanne album in 2016 and her work on A Star is Born are any indication, Lady Gaga has certainly learned a lot from the master. All right, Tub. Well, we mentioned both Queen and David Bowie earlier in the episode, so... What do you say we look at that iconic track that they collaborated together on for our bonus material? You are, of course, talking about the song Under Pressure, which samples the Vanilla Ice song Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> okay, hold up. Hold up, buddy. I think, I think you might have that wrong, backwards, maybe? <laughs> I'm just playing, man. Just playing. I know it's the other way around. Ice Ice Baby samples Under Pressure. Calm down. Wait, wait, what? Come on, Tob. Those are two different songs. One goes like, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. And then the other one goes like, dun, 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 dun. See, here, dun, see, here we go. Right? Uh, we're, we're, we are done playing now, for real. The Ice Ice Baby controversy has been covered a bazillion times. Let's instead share a little bit about the original Under Pressure track. Well, this was one of those serendipitous moments where talented people were in the same room at the same time working on stuff together. In this case, Bowie was originally there to do backing vocals for another Queen song, Cool Cat, but ultimately was dissatisfied with the results and they were never used. So drummer Roger Taylor has been working on a song called Feel Like, and you can certainly hear the beginning sounds of Under Pressure. Let's take a listen. Mm-hmm. Right there. Yeah, it's the same song, you know? Yeah, right there, you know? Well, apparently Bowie wrote new lyrics and Freddie Mercury spearheaded the musical direction of the song. And let's also give some credit to John Deacon for writing that instantly recognizable bass line. Truly a collaborative effort. So let's hear how it all came together. Yeah, 
is Bowie and the other singer. They both. Freddie, yeah. That's crazy. So this this has to be a demo version, right, or something like that? Because I don't think it's this is not on the real. Is it the real version? It's the real version that has both Bowie and oh, Freddie yeah. on it. Yeah, you hear Freddie scatting the whole thing, and yeah, no, huh. this is a great track. I always thought it was just Freddie on that track. Mm-mm. No, oh. all right. Well, Tom, I gotta say, speaking of pressure, I'm, I'm feeling pressure to get you to your trick or treating. Uh, I know we need to wrap up the time, show. Take your time, buddy. Take your time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tell the listeners what we all covered today. We compare the similarities between the careers and music of Madonna and Lady Gaga and the song Express Yourself and Born This Way. And what do we have lined up for next time? I'm hoping we can find love. Oh, my. Avoid backstabbers. Oh, okay. And maybe even take the train. Not the bus. Not the bus. Not the bus. <laughs> the train. Not a cab. Not, not a Uber. cab. Not Taking an Uber. Forget Lyft. You know, I'm talking about. I'm talking about the train. All of this is just starting to sound really heavy. Like, if we find love, what are we going to do with it? I don't know. Well, until then, I guess thanks for listening. Stay safe out there, and we'll catch you next time on Rips on Rips. Keep listening. Huzzah. Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Isabel Robertson. Audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit evergreenpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm your co-host, Toby Braswell. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.